Benifer is back. Brad and Jen are friends again. And Paris Hilton is somehow still making headlines. 20 years later, we're living in the world that the 2000s tabloids created. On this series, I'm going to tell you the story of a decade of American life through the trash we love to consume. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Claire Malone, and this is Just Like Us, the tabloids that changed America. Listen on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Hello, we're back. Today's show, we've got Shirley Halperin of Variety. She's the music editor there. He's going to give us a Grammys preview and break down the Kanye of it all, the Olivia Rodrigo of it all. And we'll talk a little bit about the music industry and where it, is, where it stands right now. Um, it's actually doing pretty well, surprisingly. The streaming revolution has benefited music. Speaking of streaming, Craig, did you sign up for CNN Plus the day it launched? I did not, and there are probably 25 other streaming services that outrank CNN Plus for me. I, I would I would subscribe yeah. to Epics before I subscribe to CNN Plus. Yeah, it's sort of a head-scratcher. I don't know who the CNN Plus audience is. I mean, I think there's probably you know Anderson Cooper super fans and Wolf Blitzer beard fetishists <laughs> out there who feel that they need access to their heroes 24 hours a day, but... I, I'm a little skeptical. To me, this feels like an add-on to HBO Max eventually, not something that can live as a standalone service, at least not yet. Is this just a, everybody has a streaming service, so we need to have a streaming service move? Yes. I mean, the short answer is yes, and they've tried this before. This is actually their third attempt at some kind of a streaming product. But I think, you know, they're putting money behind it. They're, you know, doing a branding campaign around it. And you know, I think this is ultimately going to be a tile within HBO Max, like the Discovery shows are going to be when they finish that merger of Discovery and Warner Brothers. You know, whether they'll ultimately end up charging more for it, it's five ninety nine at launch. Although weirdly, weirdly, you get you get it for half price if you sign up for a lifetime subscription. What <laughs> I know. Although the joke obviously is that for most CNN viewers, they're eighty years old. A, that's only a few years. <laughs> Good deal for them. Uh, yeah. But, you know, good for them. You know, more power to them. Don't want to crap on anyone's streaming service dreams. But, uh, yeah, I don't I don't quite have that one yet. So we're going to talk Grammys and all things music today. I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right. We are here with Shirley Halperin. Shirley is executive editor of music for Variety. She and I have known each other for years. We worked together at The Hollywood Reporter and she was at Billboard. Today, we're going to talk all things Grammys and a little bit of music industry 
scuttlebutt and what people in the industry are talking about. Shirley, you will be there in Vegas on Sunday night at the Grammys, Trevor Noah hosting. First question is, how are they going to reference the Oscars? Well, I think it would be... uh smart of them to figure out a really funny way to address it um, or, or any way to address better, it. Better question. Who is going to slap Trevor Noah? <laughs> um, listen, the Grammys are, uh, they're a little less constrained than the Oscars, I would say. And I fully expect that, uh, Trevor Noah will make reference to it. Maybe someone will run up on stage. Hey, we don't even know. Maybe Kanye will be the one to do it. But I, I do expect <laughs> that there'll be that there'll be a reference to it. If nothing, um, if not something a little more, you know. Jokey. All right, give us the state of give us the state of Kanye right now. He's not allowed to be there supposedly. He is nominated, but give us you know give us the lay of the land on what he's nominated for, why he's not there, and what could happen if he wins. Well, he can attend the show. Um, He just was pulled from the performance lineup. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if he was there, not just for the main event, but for the pre-telecast. That's where most of his awards are going to be handed out. So that is not broadcast on television, but it is something that you can watch on a live stream. And there are acceptance speeches for for those awards. So he's up, for example, for Best Rap Song. He's up for Best Rap Album. Um, Those are not likely to be broadcast awards, although they could be. It sort of depends on on who the winner is. And this is kind of like what the Oscars had to deal with. It's like they know who the winner is, so they know who's going to come up or who's who's going to have to do the acceptance. Um, we're sort of like playing in the dark here. I think the pre-tell is probably where we'll first see Kanye West um, having to you know, accept for a win or not win. And then, of course, if he doesn't win, there's, well, what reaction will he have to that? There was also talk of Kanye doing a competing event to the Grammys in Las Vegas, <laughs> um, you know, like getting, you know, some of the biggest names in rap to come together at another venue to live stream it. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a Kanye West concert that happens to be staged at the same time as the Grammys. So those are the kinds of things that we're we're sort of looking out for fantastic quality so yeah ben winston the producer of the grammys is a smart guy whatever kanye does at the pre-show is going to be broadcast on the live show i mean we'll all know about it on twitter and everywhere else beforehand but this is not the kind of guy who just stands there in the crowd and wins or loses um we're going to see something i my, i predict so give it you know the 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 Grammy, I, we're not going to go through every category here, but, you know, the, the big four mm-hmm. are album of the year, record of the year, song of the year, and new, best new artist, correct? Correct. So give us your predictions or, you know, what the thinking in the, in the industry is about, uh, about album of the year. I think, look, 
This year, they expanded the uh, category to 10, which is the first time that Grammy voters have had so many albums to choose from. I mean, in the past, it is sort of maxed out at eight. So it it really is kind of like, I think the the prognosticators are having a hard time saying, oh, this is the shoe-in or this is the front runner. But out of these 10 albums, I think the one that is most likely to take it is probably Olivia Rodrigo for Sour. Um And it's looking like it could be kind of a a battle of like young and old in a way, because on the on on the other hand or on the other side of it, bookending the contest is Tony Bennett. So he's 95. Olivia Rodrigo is 19. And this is what we have to choose between. (laughs) Um, It's it's a little. There's only one solution here. They need to do a duet on stage at the Grammys. <laughs> oh, God, that might look a little more like Lady Gaga and Liza Minnelli, so that is probably not the way yeah. to go. But, um, that was rough. Just to, go, just to go through the list, it's uh, Taylor Swift with uh, her album, Evermore. Kanye, the Donda album. It's Just the Bieber Justice. It's her, Back of My Mind. Doja Cat, Planet Her. Tony Bennett, as you mentioned. And then the Billie Eilish album, Happier Than Ever. And Lil Nas X with uh, Montero and John Batiste mm-hmm. with We Are. That's a pretty eclectic group of nominees. Who do you think the music industry is rooting for out of this group? I would also say that the music industry is rooting for Olivia Rodrigo because, you know, she's sort of like the dream artist in that it's her first album. Um, she had multiple uh, hit singles off of it, two number ones. It sold, you know, it was certified gold and then platinum soon thereafter. So I think this is like, this is what the music industry craves is a new artist that, you know, can really put some numbers on the board and, uh, and, and sell consistently and now is about to tour this is this is like the dream of the music industries to have an olivia rodrigo there, there are voting blocks for grammy voters correct like you know just like for the oscars where you know the nashville contingent has their people that they push and then there's the the r&b and and rap contingent that you know it's like music is so stratified i feel like there are groups within the grammys that are very strong constituencies there absolutely are. And when there were these secret nominating committees, which they did away with this year, that was felt even more, that sort of like block voting or block pushing, campaigning, whatever you want to call it. Um, f- with the Grammys, I think mostly it's the labels that sort that vote and they skew things one way or another. So like the label, uh, let's say Def Jam, for example, they're going to put all their eggs in the Justin Bieber basket. You know, everyone at Def Jam who's a Grammy voter is voting for Justin Bieber. And that's how you end up with these sort of like chunks of votes. Um, So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And let's take a little bit of a a detour into just some music industry stuff. I feel like the mood in the music industry these days is pretty good. I mean, the, the recording industry report revealed that sales hit, you know, 15 billion way up. The streaming revolution is sort of you know, taken revenues back, not not quite to pre-Napster levels, but the music industry is doing pretty well, right? 
uh, streaming saved the music industry. You know, if we think back about the 2000s and how grim it was, I mean, the 2000s started yeah. out so huge. It, you had the InSync, uh, which then had the biggest first week album sales, 2.6 million albums sold in one week. And then it was just like downhill from there. And layoffs and massive, massive like restructuring of labels to sort of to um, realign with the digital world was, you know, really had its impact on the music industry. And it was a grim, grim time. But now, yeah, I mean, we're looking at near record $15 billion in revenue for 2021, which is obviously driven by a surge in streaming um, and also the inclusion of TikTok music revenue for the first time. But even the physical formats were up this year. You know, vi uh, vinyl yeah, that was and crazy. CD sales were up. Yeah. I, okay. Explain yes. that to me. I saw there was a bump in CD sales. I get vinyl. Vinyl has a nostalgia feel. It has a, you know, a certain sound and you like to, you know, put your candles on and put your vinyl music on, whatever. CDs? Who cares? Who has CDs? <laughs> it's kind of like NFTs, Matt. It's like, do you want to own the product? Are you a super fan? Um, you know, would do you want the Adele 30 album in all of its different formats? Also, remember, there were so many delays with vinyl uh, shipments because of the pandemic, supply chain issues. You know, if you wanted that official product... Um, you could buy the CD. So in a way, the CD became nostalgic this year. And yeah, sales were up 1.1%. It's mostly due to BTS, Adele, and Taylor Swift. They all released new albums and they all released them on CD. So that accounts for the bump. But it is, uh, you know, it is interesting. I mean, CDs first outsold vinyl in 1987, but since 2004, it's just been diminishing returns as piracy and downloads ravaged physical sales. Um, so, yeah, interesting bump. It was only up 1.1%. Well, and I guess if you're in high school, your 20s now, like the CD is nostalgic. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And it's, it's like a throwback. It's what your parents had. And it's something you can own. Like the thing about streaming and Spotify, Apple Music is these are just platforms to rent the music. You don't own it. And, you know, if you're a super fan, you want that uh, that CD version of Fearless, Taylor Swift's version. Um, you know, you want the BTS B album in its physical form. So, so that explains that um, that sales bump. But also, vinyl like continues to sell just insanely well for the fifteenth consecutive year. Revenues grew sixty one percent to a billion dollars in twenty twenty one. The last time vinyl records sold more than a billion dollars worth of vinyl was in 1986. So it really is like a <laughs> super weird time warp uh, when it comes to these physical products. I remember when they released the numbers on the first week of the Adele album, there was this thing at the end that said that she sold 8,000 cassette tapes <laughs> of 30. Yep. Cassette tapes. Mm -hmm. Like who, who has a player to play a cassette tape. <laughs> Not many people. I mean, I barely do. When they released the um, Adele 
single, Easy On Me, they actually sent it on cassette to all of the press. And it's still sitting on my desk because at, at the office, I certainly don't have a way to play a cassette. At home, I do. So yeah, it is like, uh, I don't really know what's happening here. It doesn't really seem environmentally sound to produce so much plastic, but um, you know, we'll see. So I, Adele is not eligible for this year's Grammy. But we're now a few months out from her release, and I think this has got to be considered a disappointment for her, right? 30 is not what the others sold, correct? Yeah, it's her poorest uh, performer in terms of sales and, and consumption. Um, it also didn't have like the huge hit singles that would like keep driving uh, people back to the album. So yeah, in terms of Adele, it's it's a disappointment in the canon of Adele, but it's still a huge win um, for Columbia Records, her label. Okay. Now, you know, the music industry really does convene around the Grammys in a way that I don't think the film and TV industries do around the Oscars and Emmys, right? Literally everybody in the music industry, it seems, comes to LA or New York or this year, Vegas, for the Grammys week activities. Uh, what are, how has being in Vegas changed things and what are the big events heading up to the show? So I actually think that a lot of people are sitting out the Grammys in Vegas this year. Um, I've been hearing from various people in the industry, some of whom feel like the Grammys wronged Kanye and they're almost, you know, like like boycotting without calling it a boycott. Um, others just uh, still are COVID weary. Um, of being in a big room in Vegas with people from all over the world. Um, you know, it, the marquee sort of nominees that uh, that you'd expect, like The Weeknd and Drake, like they're not going to be there. Um, so I expect that... Well, Drake withdrew his album, correct? Yeah, so Drake withdrew his two Grammy nominations um, and The Weeknd is up for three Grammy nominations after being completely shut out in 2020, 2021. But um, they're all for featured roles for collaborations. So so we don't expect him to be there either. Uh, and I just, I'm getting the sense that attendance is going to be down. Um, the Clive Davis party, which is traditionally the Saturday night event where you and I always hang out, Matt. Um, <laughs> that's not happening this year. Um, instead, Clive Davis is having his 90th birthday party in New York the following week. So I, I don't think that we're going to see the sort of crowds that we typically see or the number of events. A lot of label parties are sitting out, you know, having an official Grammy event in in Vegas, um, having just, you know, uh, finished South by Southwest, I'd heard that South by was about 70% of its usual attendance. And I expect that the Grammys will be around the same. So it's not going to be the sort of like frenetic pace of party, party, brunch, showcase, uh, you know, right. events. I don't think you're going to get that. I think it's going to be a little more subdued. Yeah. I mean, I remember going to the Spotify party the last year that the Grammys were in LA and it was just as good as the Grammys. Like <laughs> they had Lizzo, they had, I mean, they had everybody that was on the Grammys performing the night before. I know this is a Spotify podcast, so this is shameless plug, but 
like I, you know, I, I wondered how that would play out in Vegas and it sounds from you like it's not going to be quite the same. It's not going to be the same. Spotify is having an event uh, on Saturday, but it's not their typical uh, Best New Artist event where every Best New Artist plays. By the way, there's 10 Best New Artist nominees. I mean, if each person took a song or two, it would you know take a while to get through all of those nominees. So maybe it's a blessing in disguise for Spotify. So last thing here, who are you rooting for at the Grammys? Who do you personally like? I know you got a lot of relationships with artists and executives. Um, who is who is your you know your horse to watch? Well, taste wise, I love Brandy Carlisle. I love Casey Musgraves. These are these are my girls. Their music speaks to me. Um, another artist who I've really come around to in these last uh, two to three years and just root for is Lil Nas X. I mean, he is just such a fantastic you know, creative visionary for someone so young. And, you know, he's now writing his third huge hit single. And, uh, you know, this album is sort of like the album that won't stop. So I'm kind of rooting for him. I think he's a very important artist. He's, you know, he's sweet and funny and smart and all those things. Um, but he also makes like music that matters. So, so those would be my picks. He's great. I would have absolutely bet on him being a one hit wonder. I would have thought Old Town Road would come go, and we he would be like the uh, uh, who was it, Psy, the Korean yep. rapper. <laughs> I thought that was absolutely, weird. and then all of a sudden he comes back and he's bigger than ever. He is, and he's so consistent, and he's super, super talented. But yeah, you wouldn't be alone in thinking that you know Old Town Road was a fluke. I mean, it's a song he made like in a rent by the hour recording studio in Atlanta for fifty bucks. So right. you know, it's uh, it's really been amazing to watch his career flourish and and just to see him become this fashion icon and this you know. Um, it, LGBTQ icon. It's it's really just heartwarming, kind of like Olivia Rodrigo to see a new artist come on the scene and really move numbers. Because you know that's what right. the music industry is all about. Yeah, and unlike in streaming, you actually know in music who's up, who's down, who's number one, who's not, and there's real consumption data out there, so we can track it all. And you do. Thank you. To Shirley Halperin, she will be at the Grammys this Sunday, giving us her insights. Um, thanks, Shirley. Matt, thanks so much for having me. All right, we are back with the 100% surefire probable Hollywood prediction of the day, working title. So we will have a name for this by next week. We still don't have a name. Tweet at me. Tweet at Craig Horlbeck. But in the meantime... My prediction, I'm going to go with another box office prediction. I was pretty much vindicated last week with the Lost City box office coming in way above the expectations. I'm going to do the same here. Morbius, the Spider-Man villain spinoff with Jared Leto is coming out this weekend. The prediction, or the pre-release tracking that was released by the, the studio Sony had it at about $33 million. I say that's way low. Do you think that they, this is just a lowballing tactic to exceed expectations and make themselves feel better? Yes. That's all studios do that. Sony is the worst. They <laughs> will, they, they laughably predict just because they want everyone to say, whoa, came in double the expectation. And then last year with Venom, they predicted a $40 million opening weekend. It came in at 80. Well, why would anybody, why would anybody try to predict a really high number? Because you just risk underselling it. 
Totally. There's no reason. All you're doing is playing the media here because the average moviegoer doesn't say, oh, you know what? This movie's projected to gross $80 million. I think I'm going to go see it now. That's not how people think. So they lowball and then they come in. I mean, you have to, if you start straining credibility, then people won't believe you, but which is where we are with Sony most of the time. People just don't believe them. But, you know, there's a whole science and there's a, a PR specialty in gaming the box office. So all these reporters believe what you say and then come back on Sunday and say, exceeded expectations, it's a hit. Are you going to see it? No, I don't care about the Spider-Man villains. I like Spider-Man movies, but this is like kind of off-brand Sony Marvel, not real Marvel. And if I want to watch Jared Leto, I can watch him on the WeWork show, which I checked out and I wasn't too into. His accent is interesting. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I just, uh, the House of Gucci really kind of turned me off to Jared Leto. I thought that was like poor grade Saturday Night Live nonsense, like ridiculousness. It's a big moment for Leto right now. There's a lot of Leto in the air. Even we just did a rewatchables on Panic Room. That, that was the oh, beginning yeah. of Jared Leto. Yeah, he was good in that movie. Yeah. You know, generally I like him as an actor and I think he's one of those like super intense. Also like insane the fact that the guy's 50 years old and looks like that. I mean, I don't know what he is doing to himself. Is he whether he 50? Goes, he is 50 years old oh, and he, wow. he must go into some like Michael Jackson cryogenic chamber at night because he, you know, uh, he looks like he's 30 years old. It's insane. Not a wrinkle on that forehead. No, and I'm sure it's unnatural, and I'm sure he has made some deal with the devil, but, uh, you know, good for him. All right, that's the show. I want to thank Shirley Halperin. I want to thank producer Craig Horbeck. I want to thank you for listening. We'll be back on Monday. Lucas will be here on Monday, and he'll he's in Vegas this weekend, and so he'll give us a little bit more on the Grammys and everything that went down in Vegas. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.